Hello and welcome to the official SciFox podcast, where we get to know more about our company, culture, and employees. This is our very first episode of many, so we are excited to jump right in. I'm Tara Walker, and I'm joined by our Chief Commercial Officer, Mike Dubrovsky. And today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Sarat Gundavarapu, our Principal Photonic Scientist, about how he came to be a part of the SciFox team. Hi, Surat. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. How are you? Good. That was a cool intro. Awesome. <laughs> so I guess we can just start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you studied, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I am from a southern city of India called Hyderabad. I grew up there. Uh, I finished my bachelor's there. Then I got to the United States and I did my master's and PhD in University of California, Santa Barbara in photonics. And then I moved to Boston. I worked as a postdoc for one and a half year in Mass General Hospital and Harvard Med School. And then I joined SciFox nice. as principal photonic scientist. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, the, the group you did your PhD with at UCSB is known for a couple of specific areas in integrated photonics, right? So can, yeah. can you tell us more about that? So the group that I, like I did my PhD in, it was headed by Professor Daniel Blumenthal. It's called OCPI, Optical Communications and Photonic Integration. So the group uh, worked in different areas in the past, like high-speed uh, current communications. And then then we, I, as a part of my PhD work, we worked a lot on integrated optical sensors. My PhD was on optical gyroscopes then uh, and also narrow line with lasers. Now the group has transitioned more into making highly stable lasers and uh, exploring different integrated platforms like Tandla and yeah. What's the general like direction? Why why are they in these research areas? Like what's the overarching? So you can have a very highly high speed phase locked loop at the at the receiver uh, that will continuously track the change in the frequency yeah. or the phase of the transmitter. Okay. So there, as as in how we advance into more complex and highly dense communication schemes or amplitude modulation schemes, the the demand on the laser pure, spectral purity characteristics increase scale up really fast. Okay. So and we are approaching that. Like it is important for data centers to be highly energy efficient because they consume a lot of energy, and I, I if I remember it right, it is about. 10% of the world's power consumption is mm. currently data centers and they're, they're obviously going to increase as the internet and uh, media consumption will increase. So it is important to make them energy efficient and power efficient and optics is probably the way to go. Okay. So, so what you did from what I understand, like the very little that I understand is that you, you, you had a, a record line width in terms of like a record small line width for a chip-based laser. Yes. So lasers that are bulk lasers have already achieved this kind of line width, but right. they're very big and expensive. So you right. were able to get uh, mat. To, you were able to match a line width that's already achieved by a bulk laser, but on a yeah. silicon nitride chip. Yes. So that's more or less like, precisely put. Awesome. Uh, so the as you said, like bulk lasers are already able to achieve this kind of spectral purity, um, and to be able to achieve that kind of performance on a chip scale would um, would be really good for all these applications and to be able to do that in cmos compatible platform would be even more beneficial 
because they can be foundry manufactured along with other silicon photonic components um, so yeah so the what we did was to be able to achieve a subhertz line width emission from a silicon nitride resonator cavity which was high q and uh, it worked on the principle of stimulated proton scattering so uh, got like about 0 0.7 hertz fundamental line width so um yeah. what was the key innovation that allowed you to reach such a narrow line width so the I mean, this was a huge collaborative effort with Honeywell uh, and Yale. So multiple groups were involved. So the idea was uh, the main propelling factor for making this kind of narrow line with laser was to make optical gyroscope out of it. So a resonator based gyroscope would be extremely sensitive if the, if the lasers that are um, used to, you know, separate the two counter propagating waves are extremely narrow. So that required a narrow line with laser to be realized in a small form factor and in a silicon nitride platform. So, and the idea was to use SBS because that has inherent properties of line with narrowing. So, and the key innovation in this, what, whatever we what's, were, yeah, you have to explain SBS. That's not, okay. okay that's okay. not trivial. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yes, um, SBS is, Brillouin scattering is to be able to, uh, is a phenomenon in it's which... It's like a physics exam, you know. Just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, SBS is, you can, it's an inelastic scattering phenomena in which um, an incident photon actually gets um, converted into, uh, is down downshifted in frequency. Mm. Uh, and in that process, an acoustic phonon is released. Yeah. So... Uh, the way that this happens is uh, because of the, the the way that when a high intensity optical beam trans travels through a waveguide, any optical medium, um, so the medium expands because of the photo uh, refractive properties of the material. It uh, it expands and contracts, hmm. so that creates changes in the de material density properties of the material. And as the light propagates, these density variations propagate, and that sort of creates a grating. Hmm. So this traveling grating, when uh, is the grating is co-traveling with the optical incident wave, and uh, the grating uh, is the the parameters of the grating and the, the that are dependent on the material itself. Yeah. So this traveling grating reflects the light. So it itself acts as a grading and it's You're saying because the density there's a density variability yeah so uh, the material uh, because of the high power those create material density variations huh. and they travel and the traveling density wave creates a change in the ref refractive index of the material yeah yeah, yeah. and that, that's amazing yeah and that creates a optical grading so that reflects part of the incident and light. that's like a much finer grading than you could make with lithography it's not physical it's it's well uh, it's well it is physical right it's just temporary yeah it's temporary i yeah. mean it, but what's is, what's the if you did it with lithography why is yeah. this better than making a grading with lithography um so these are it's a little different i mean when you're talking about making grading with lithography let's get to that later but just finishing the sbs okay, pack okay. so uh, the traveling grading reflects the light the yeah. traveling light wave 
and the reflected light wave has uh, is called Brillouin um, output, uh, yeah. Brillouin emission, and that is uh, when when the light is of sufficiently high intensity, then all the reflected paths of the light wave are coherent to each mm. other, and they so they build up on each other, and then like does this depend? Do you need like you need to match? The material to the wavelength to the is there like a like a matching you have to do yes yeah, for, this yeah. To, for this to happen yeah for in a resonator cavity yes yeah. but uh, if it is in a in a like a just a straight wave guide this happens uh, just based on the material properties will it happen to any wavelength of light that you or any wavelength where the material is clear so the the shift from the transmitted wave the input wave to the reflected yeah. brillouin wave that shift is dependent on the material properties okay so if the based on the material properties the brillouin frequency shift can vary a lot hmm. let's say for silica it can be the the brillouin uh, reflected wave can be 10 gigahertz away from the transmitted incident wave uh, for arsenic sulfide or chalcogenide materials they'll be seven gigahertz apart so you're saying the reflected wave is actually uh Sorry if this is a simple question, but it's a yeah. it's a higher wavelength exactly by the energy quantity that's gone into the into phonon. The, into the phonon, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the uh, frequency and it goes in the opposite direction. It's actually reflected. yes, okay, because of the reflect reflection yeah. from the grating that's yeah, yeah, traveling. Okay. So that reflected wave, if it can be separated using some kind of circulator, you can actually measure that. Okay. This happens a lot in uh, optical fiber systems, actually. So in any transmitted a transmitter, uh, if there is a huge spool of fiber like a kilometer of fiber if you put in more than 20 20 milliwatts or i mean if it is like uh, in tens of milliwatts usually there is a very clear and distinct reflected mm. brown signal uh, so that in that becomes a limitation at some point like you can't put oh, in more power uh, to increase that the system efficiency and what um okay so you have you're pumping this resonator cavity and getting this reflection, brilliant yeah. reflection. Yes. Or what? How does this turn into a laser? So the that is actually so this what we we just talked about was for a straight wave guy in the yeah. resonator cavity. So if we have a resonator cavity in which we match the free spectral range of the resonator with this brillouin frequency shift. Okay. So, so that the 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 Brillouin frequency shift itself is an integral multiple of the free spectral range of mm. the resonator. Then the the number of times and the amount of time taken for the the light to travel through the ring ring resonator, it would be matching the Brillouin frequency shift. So um, they would be building on itself coherently. So mm. eventually, the output that comes out is going to be a lasing output like that's the beyond, interesting. yeah beyond a certain threshold of course so this is it's this is actually not i mean i guess maybe you could call this stimulated emission but it's pretty different from stimulated emission lasers yeah so stimulated this is this is not i mean the the distinction between a stimulated emission and this phenomena is this is mostly scattering mediated yeah and stimulated emission is based on the population inversion yeah phenomena. yeah yeah so this is yeah. this is pretty different this is a pretty yeah, so this is a typical yeah, laser. Yeah, yeah. This is okay, a either, so the stimulated emission does not fall into this nonlinear regime of the yeah. optical. When was this invented? Like I, I, didn't well, know this I think a century uh, before. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Well, so, I, 
not before the original laser. Uh, I don't actually know if that was before the original laser. Probably not, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, either way, I, it was it is actually funny because the the year that 2018, the year that we actually s sort of published this, was I think 99 years after this phenomena was actually invented. But the innovative part and in, in all of this silicon nitride thing was uh, usually materials um, that's that are, that can be used for Brillouin scattering are that they have to be able to guide both light and sound because it is acoustic phonon. Um, and for that to happen, the, the core of the material, I mean, in, if it is an optical waveguide, there is core and the cladding. Mm -hmm. The core of the material has to have lower longitudinal acoustic velocity compared to the cladding, which means that the core has to be a softer material. So soft material, uh, core, and sort of a hardened material hmm. cladding is what would be ideal. So those would be both acoustic and optical guiding. So and is that true of a silicon nitride waveguide? No, it's not. So uh. that's the thing. So these are not fundamentally acoustic guiding materials. Yeah. So the acoustic mode is not confined. So these are not continuously guided and traveling gradings. Mm -hmm. So what we observed was that these are these just get created and then they just um, like the, they radiate away. They radiate away. So they, yeah, but it still works. Yeah, because the, the reason for that is because the platform supports really, really uh, small optical losses. Huh. Um, so the photons are do not lose as much power as in other ah, okay, interesting. So they continuously create acoustic gratings. Uh. So the acoustic grating, even though they don't, don't survive for long, because they are continuously created, they can still contribute a significant amount of reflection and they can give Brillouin gain. Okay, cool. That's really interesting. What was yeah. the power of the laser? The output power um, for, we got blown output even at 10 milliwatts of optical input power on, on the waveguide. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so let, let's shift gears back to like more, more general questions. I think we have a couple. Yeah, of so now I'm really interested to know what originally led you to become a scientist slash yeah. engineer. Uh, I mean, science is super cool. That's <laughs> the main reason. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you can do a lot of. Um, you can create real world applications using science, and that's the interesting part. Um, so if you're if you can do something that can be useful in like everyday life, or if it's useful for you know to help someone. Yeah. That's the that's the main thing. But you were, you were working as a software engineer, right, in India, yes. and probably fairly financial. That was probably financially pretty okay. And yeah. I'm curious. You took basically a monastic vow of poverty for like <laughs> eight years or something <laughs> yes. to do your to do yes. your masters and PhD. Yes. So some something must have prompted you to do that. Uh, that's the that's the whole point. Like when you are working on software applications, it is as a product that you you develop but you can't see it's not physical mm. um, and of course it has it has applications but um, that was not the, as I just said if you want to make some a product that has real world applications that can help everyone I felt uh, there uh, the other 
pursuing because my bachelor was in electronics engineering hmm. so i wanted to continue pursuing that rather yeah. than so i i after i finished my master's i worked as a database developer in a company called broadridge, broadridge in india in hyderabad um so after working for four years it was it was super nice working there but i thought maybe if i work on like get back to what i was working on my bachelor's uh, that can have more real world impact compared to this hmm. so yeah. um yeah so so i think the the key thing we have to ask for sure is uh what how how did you end up at cyfox and uh um kind of what drew you to the company and and uh how did you end up working here i was working as a postdoc at national hospital and i was working on oct what's uh, what's oct uh, OCT is optical coherence tomography. It is a technology that's used for biomedical imaging, you, in which you use lasers uh, to get the subsurface information of any like body part. Especially, that OCT is widely used in uh, ophthalmology or dermatology, and it is the applications are increasing every day. So it's the machine where you put your chin into the machine. That's it's that machine at the that's, doctor. Yeah, you place most your chin the, into most, like a strap. And, yeah, yeah, most of the eye specialists these days use an OCT machine. Mm-hmm. I think um, the reason for me to get into biomedical imaging was that I thought you know biology is always biomedicine is extremely cool. Um, I think. Um, mix, being able to mix the integrated photonics technology and biomedicine, that I think has fascinated me. It's, it's really good. Um, so that's why I got to this group. Uh, it was headed by Professor Benjamin Vakoch, um at MGH. So I worked in his group on OCT technology. Uh, I was mostly working on the system side and on actually measuring and characterizing on different ex vivo samples for vocal cords and um, you know skin and skull so yeah so i i think i was i was actually i wanted to get into industry because and i was looking for uh, opportunities and unfortunately covid stuck and i i happened to come across the cyfox a job posting on LinkedIn and I contacted Indeed um, because it seemed super cool that you know making a COVID sensor using integrated resonators Re- integrated resonators and photonics was definitely my PhD background yes. and to be able to use that to make a sensor that's very needed mm-hmm. is useful Absolutely. Yeah. so your role here is the Principal photonic scientist. So for people at home that don't really know what that means, what does your typical day look like here at Cyfox? A typical day uh, or typical night. Typical night, typical day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, obviously we're trying to make a product that involves a lot of lasers and some kind of different integrated optical components. So making a system level measurement and designing the components from scratch um, and while keeping in the mind keeping in mind how that fits into the end product uh, would be the main goal and that's what 
uh, that's the high level objective of every day uh, am i am i missing something or <laughs> yeah is something extremely wrong that from in what i'm doing yeah yeah um yeah it's how would you compare this to academic life like how would you compare your it, it might be actually kind of similar right because you have a lot of responsibility yeah so the, what makes this different is that it is a multidisciplinary effort so having um mixing photonics with biology and trying to understand those and to make something that would you know that is kind of detecting a disease is super cool yeah that's the difference and, and in terms of like the workflow how do, how would you compare like the goals that you used to work towards as a postdoc or as a phd student uh or even as a software engineer in your previous job to like the kind of goal setting that's going on in sidefox and and how how you know we try to achieve those goals and work towards them uh i think we're still at this point i think we're still in the research phase so it is kind of similar but the end objectives are a little different in terms of uh in in academia we usually target for the best performance that is achievable because we are trying to establish a concept or demonstrate something that's new novel and best in the field but uh, the target for industry is a little different we're not just trying to do that but uh, that those whatever we are trying to do has to meet the product requirements like mm-hmm. even even if we demonstrate the narrowest line with laser in the world if that's not useful for a covid sensor that's useless <laughs> so yeah, so both have to be matched and more importantly it what we are doing has to fit into what the product needs not the other way around so that is the that is major difference i guess between academia and industry okay so our next question that we have here is what do you like in a coworker what makes you want to collaborate with someone in you know professional setting yeah uh, i think a coworker would be cool if they are fun to work with and someone you can learn something from so if you are working towards the same goal um and if it is if you can contribute if you can contribute as well as learn and if they are fun to work with they would be ideal coworkers i guess yeah what's what's like your uh working with other people what is like what what kind of things generally lead to bad experiences for you like what doesn't work what doesn't work or what doesn't work as well to to make it easier to answer <laughs> i don't know um that is a little tough so for example do you like long emails or short emails do you like <laughs> <laughs> i know where this is coming from <laughs> do you like long emails or short Sounds emails <laughs> do you like uh yeah like direct feedback indirect feedback stuff like that that's that's kind of the direction the question is going oh i think it varies with every case but it is yeah sticking to the point is i think is is more a better way for me like yeah so you were telling me a little bit before and i thought this was really interesting um about some recent scientific discoveries being made about pig brains yeah can you tell us a little about that yeah i think it was related to what scientific discoveries uh, seem more science fictiony Mm. and that was uh, a couple of years ago i think after i got here to boston now you in a couple of years probably last year 
um, a group of I think there's the, the one group uh, it was in, published in Nature and they were able to uh, I think observe some brain activity in a pig that ha that passed away and after even after a couple of hours they were able to see or I'm not very sure if they, were, they they stimulated it but the some kind of brain activity was still measured wow. after the pig died so they did mention in the paper that this does not mean that full brain activity can be restored mm. but it is still a fascinating first step that uh, brain can be kept active or alive uh, after not alive alive but right. still that would be I think a first step um, if not it is it sounds extremely like science fiction if someone would have said that probably 10 years ago uh, no one would have believed it right. but yeah now it is actually true it's published right, wow. and then there was there was actually something else kind of brain related as well um, the downloading of conscience conscious consciousness yeah uh, that still I think is a science fiction kind yeah. of thing I don't think anyone has done that but uh, I've heard Elon Musk say that in one of his interviews and he was asked what what would Neuralink, Neuralink eventually lead to and what was he trying to accomplish with that and he mentioned that uh, with enough implants in the brain maybe he could eventually maybe it would be, it would be possible to eventually download consciousness into some kind of device wow. so it, a question if we could in your opinion should we maybe but I don't want my consciousness to be on <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? There's like a dichotomy, or not a dichotomy, but maybe two competing um, hopes, right? So it's either like the live forever anti-aging hope, yeah. right? Where you get to keep your brain inside like a kind of like body frozen at the age of 40 or something. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you just exit the body. Um, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's a very deep question. I don't think it, there's a simple answer for that. It depends on the the brain that is being downloaded and being kept alive. What what intentions are there in the brain? <laughs> so there there's a book or movie. I think it's a Russian movie based on a, a book from Europe. I, a, like a, not a Russian book, but it's called The Head of Doctor Duel, Galava Doctor Duelia, which is about like a scientist who has another scientist's head, uh -huh. like in his office, and so the scientist the head is doing all the science. Okay. And the other guy is kind of like a politician, uh -huh. but he represents that he's the one doing all the science. Okay. And he keeps this guy's head, uh, okay. who's like a brilliant scientist. That's that's what it's about. I, yeah. I think it's not a Russian book that it's based on, but it, it might be. I can't remember. But it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this, is, this is extremely science fiction-y. So if someone is actually able to do it, then it'll get into all kinds of trouble, you know, both in terms of the ethics and the scientific circles. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at like the lowest hanging fruit, right? It might be just to download people people's brains. If you could do that, if you send them to outer space, that's pretty much that. There's no moral hazard to doing that. Mm. I think. Yeah. It, like to places where you could never uh, reach with a, with a human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because of the. Uh, but would they be humans at that point? That's yeah, above, above our pay grade maybe, but like yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I think that's that's probably like in terms yeah. of like the lowest hanging fruit, right? If you could do that, even if it was like kind of imperfect, yeah. Like if the person was like stupid or something, even or like forgot most things, you could still yeah. at least send them to outer right. space. There would to, be androids or some kind of Robocop version, yeah. Have you um, seen uh, Westworld? 
No, I haven't. Oh, that's exactly what it's about. Oh, really? Okay. It's about people downloading their conscious consciousness, oh, really? and um, they they're able to go into these. It's like a theme park for um, humans to go. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of. A lot I mean, of fundamentally, we don't even understand what consciousness consciousness is right. at this point. So, we don't have a clear idea. And if we're able to do it, maybe that'll lead into even more complex stuff. Yeah, I read like uh, Schrodinger has a good book on biology, very short actually. Oh, okay. So it's a good book about biology for physicists, kind of. Uh -huh. um, God, what is it called? Um, life. It's just called life. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And I was well. surprised to find that, like, he has a whole section in this very small book. He has a whole section on consciousness, which is basically religious. So it's kind, it's kind of interesting. So yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have any explanation for consciousness. He's just like this is is basically God. But he's like kind of he says it in a slightly different way. But it's essentially like um, I forget which religion it conforms to. Maybe Buddhism or something. But it's like. Yeah, anyway, so that's Schrodinger's. That's amazing. Schrodinger which, which I was surprised Buddhist? to find. Okay. Something like that. So he okay. has, he kind of, it's like some um, God is, or not God, there's no mention of God, but it's like something is, you know, some one thing. Mm -hmm. So the consciousness is one thing and mm -hmm. it's shining through, like the, the image that he gives is like it's shining through a lot of windows and, you know, each person is like a little window. You know, but the consciousness thing is, is a single thing. Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, it just turns out that Schrodinger's opinion on consciousness was religious, mm -hmm. uh, which the rest of the book is very technical. It's mm -hmm. like thermodynamic discussions about like where the data in, in the life could be stored and stuff like that because of like quantum. Oh, wow. But yeah, everything is like the rest of it is like physics. But that, he that probably one, said we can one. have we can at the same time have consciousness and not have consciousness also. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. You, I I definitely recommend the yeah doing biology as a as a you know electrical engineer or physicist. I definitely recommend that book. Okay, um, that sounds cool. It's like biology from a physics perspective. Biology for dummies. Yeah. Yeah. For, <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh. Okay, so so I think we had, what else did we have? So, yeah, I think just on a lighter note, what do you like to do on your days off? What do you do for fun? Yeah, YouTube or Netflix, I think. <laughs> I know, I, right That's now it's much hard it. to really yeah. do anything. Yeah, uh, I, I watch a lot of movies, yeah. So if we weren't under quarantine and lockdown, what would you be doing? What do you like to do on your time off? Oh, frankly, nothing much has changed in terms of the things that I do <laughs> even after quarantine. That was what I used to do as well. So, uh, I yeah, except for a three-month stay at house, uh, I started going back to work after from from March to June. I was at home, but after that, I went back to uh, working in the lab at MGH. And after I joined here, I used to like it's the same. Yeah. It is so the hobbies or life actually didn't change as much <laughs> as yeah. Okay. Uh yeah, let's let's go for it. So there's right. a game at the end. Oh and we will play oh. we will play it now. Okay. Alright, so it's called Hot Seat and you're probably familiar with it, but basically we're gonna be asking you some rapid fire questions and you just answer as quickly as possible without trying to think about it too much. Are okay. you ready? Yeah. Alright. Dog or cat? Dog. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. Phone call or text? Text. Toast or eggs? Neither. <laughs> Cardio or weights? Neither. <laughs> Facebook or Twitter? Uh, Facebook, because there are more videos. Yeah. Nice. Pop or indie? 
Uh, Indian music. <laughs> <laughs> cake or pie? Uh, eggless cake. New clothes or new phone? Phone. What's worse, laundry or dishes? Uh, depending on how dirty the dishes are <laughs> or the clothes are. Yeah. Online shopping or shopping in a store? Online. <laughs> That's quick. Most important in a partner, intelligent or funny? Intelligent, yeah. Movie at home or movie in the theater? Home. Ocean or mountains? Ocean. Horror movie or comedy movie? Any movie. Nice. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, Sarat, it was definitely a pleasure getting to know more about you, and thank you for your time. Thank you. We thank do you so much. hope you enjoy your role here at SciFox, and yeah. we look forward to seeing what's to come. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that is a wrap for this episode of the official SciFox podcast. You can find out more about our company online at SciFox.com or on your favorite social media platform. We're currently hiring as well. So if you're looking to join a fast-paced, innovative company like ours, you can see our current open positions on our website under careers. We appreciate our listeners out there, and we hope you enjoyed making history with us on our first podcast. And we are out. Bye.